0: What we've seen in the papers this week, the king who welcomed the wealthy was surrounded by the famous but was also in touch with a common man. I don't know if you've seen the reports of uh, Shane Warne and his connection with so many people. Uh, He had, it seems, that ability to connect with those who were wealthy and famous but also those who were just ordinary Australians. It seems as though, uh, despite his success and his fame, it seems as though, if the reports are true in the paper, that you could approach a man like Shane Warne. I don't know if you've ever approached someone famous. Have you ever been out and you've seen someone famous? Put, put up your hand if you've ever approached someone. You've seen someone out, who's pretty famous, and you sought to approach them. I don't know what you were feeling at that moment. What Was it an anticipation of rejection? Uh, one of our kids about seven years ago uh, was really into cricket and he wanted to meet the Australian cricket team. And we explained it's just not that easy to meet the Australian cricket team. So what he did is he decided to write a letter to the Australian cricket team. And he was about seven And he drafted this letter all by himself. And in this letter sent to the whole Australian cricket team, he asked for the whole team to sign his cricket hat. And we sent the letter off and we forgot about it for two or three months. But about three months later, a package came back in the mail and it was his hat. And it wasn't signed by the whole cricket team, as he'd asked for in the letter, but it was signed by the captain, Steve Smith. Lovely moment for him. When you approach the famous, the powerful, what kind of reception are you going to get? Well, Moses and Aaron this morning approach the most powerful man in their world. They go to Pharaoh. And we're going to see that their reception is one of rejection. But we're going to be reminded this morning that although they themselves are rejected, it is ultimately God who has been rejected by Pharaoh. If you have a look at verse 2 of chapter 5, we're going to have a look at what I think is perhaps the most important verse in this chapter. Have a look there in verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord? That's Pharaoh's question. And with that question, Pharaoh revealed more of his heart than I think he realised. Because throughout, really, the next ten chapters of the book of Exodus, we see that God will go to great lengths to make sure that question is answered, who is the Lord? And Pharaoh will know by the end of those chapters. He'll know who the Lord is. By the time that the uh, Israelites leave Egypt, he will have unmistakably encountered God, the God who will make himself known. Who is the Lord, is the question that Pharaoh is asking. And it's really the central question of this whole narrative. And indeed, you could argue of the whole book. Moses, uh, in chapter 3, has been told to approach Pharaoh back in chapter 3, verse 10. God said this, So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people." Israelites out of Egypt. And when uh, Moses encountered God in the wilderness, <clears throat> in Midian in chapter 3, it's almost as if Moses himself is asking a similar question to Pharaoh. Who are you? What's your name? Who should I say you are that has sent me to Egypt? And now Pharaoh is asking this same question. Who is the Lord? And That is a crucial question for us to ask. Because as much as we witness really horrific events at a global scale, as much as we see the devastation of natural disasters, as much as we hear people come up with solutions for our world, if we just got the right leaders, a better system, hold this summit, and more education, everything would be okay as much as we exist in a world with so many problems, with so much going on right now, there is one reality that we all need to come to grips with. And that is that there is one true living God and our central problem is that we do not know and we do not worship Him. Now that's not to say that there's not really important events going on in our world, but behind all the problems of our world, there is this central problem: that we do not know God, and we do not worship Him. What we're going to see this morning is really the anatomy, the the, the outline of what it is to reject God, the anatomy of unbelief. We're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see, one, that there in Pharaoh is a disregard for God's character. Secondly, we're going to see that there's a defiance of God's command. And thirdly, we're going to see that there's a disdain for God's community. So firstly, a disregard for God's character. See, at the heart of unbelief, there is a disregard for God's character. Now, this could be based on ignorance. Pharaoh didn't really know who the Lord was. In chapter 3, Moses wasn't really sure. Uh, We read in chapter 3, verse 13, that Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then, what shall I tell them? See, Moses isn't sure at that point. But neither is Pharaoh. And perhaps Pharaoh was what would have been considered in that time a spiritual person. I see a lot of evidence of pharaohs in Egypt and their spirituality, if you like. No doubt he was aware of many gods and goddesses. and perhaps he considered him to be one he considered himself to be one. No doubt he worshipped the deities of Egypt, deities of the sky and earth and the river Nile. Perhaps he was interested in the afterlife and believed in miracles and unexplained phenomena. He was, if you like, a spiritual person. But this God of the Hebrews, the Lord, the one who has revealed himself to Moses, This God, Pharaoh, does not know. And there's a sense in which that's a picture of our world, isn't it? There's a sense in which our world does not really know the God who has revealed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Many people have a sense of God, a sense of the miraculous a sense of the divine. They might consider themselves to be spiritual people. Many people believe that there is some creator and they don't have a problem accepting that there might be some afterlife. They may be religious, just like the religion of the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But for all that shape of, or that, that um, exterior of religious practice. The reality is that many people do not know the God who has revealed himself in the Bible. Many people have a sense and, a, and an idea about perhaps what God is like, but they do not know God. They do not know him. And in fact, I think often what we see is people rejecting a concept of God that they have perhaps heard or or is being transferred from certain um, cultural imprints like the media, movies, um, what they can remember from a child. You see, people don't want to believe in God in our world. They don't want to believe in a God who is petty and just sends lightning bolts and is angry with people and is mad at everyone all the time. And for us as Christian people, we don't believe in a God like that either. That's not our God. So often the God that people reject is not the God who's revealed himself in pages of Scripture and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people have the view of God as, as not some mean tyrant, but quite, kind of the opposite. That God is um, the kind of God like a, a divine Santa Claus who just wants to come down and shower us with good things and reward us no matter what we do. Well, that's not the God of the Bible either. That's not the God who's revealed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the God that has revealed himself in the Bible, the God, the, the God who is the Father and Lord, he himself has revealed who he is. And what we see in this chapter is Pharaoh's disregard for God's character is at least partly based on ignorance but it's also, I think, based on indifference. It's not just that Pharaoh never had the opportunity to know God. He's getting that opportunity, and he will have that opportunity as this narrative continues, whether he likes it or not. Though he appears to have no interest in God from the very start. You can kind of picture him with his arms folded, not wanting a bar of anything to do with this God of the Israelites. There is a sense in which he's ignorant, but he's also indifferent. And those two realities often go hand in hand. The most indifferent people towards God are those who often are the most ignorant. Why... Are people so indifferent to God in our world? Because I think they've rejected a concept of God that doesn't reflect what we read in the pages of Scripture. Of the God who's revealed himself in the Lord Jesus. We see that in the Gospels. As we read the Gospels, it's the demons who aren't indifferent towards God. They don't worship him as God, but they're the first ones to recognise his true identity, and they fear him, they're not indifferent. (coughs) So many people, um, many people have this view of God that they reject, but when it comes to God, whether we're ignorant or whether we're indifferent, we have to grapple with this reality. We have to grapple with the reality of who God is, of the reality of Him in our lives, and we need to ask ourselves, ourselves a question. If we reject God, is it the God of the Bible that we're rejecting? Or is it the God of our culture? Is it the God of our imagination that's being rejected? So, Secondly, we see that there is the defiance of God's commands. When Moses and Aaron present, present their requests to Pharaoh, it does make you wonder, how do they get there? I mean, how do they get an audience with the most powerful man in the land? You can't just rock up and you know, have a meeting with the prime minister. Well, some people have suggested that in the ancient world, it was actually the responsibility of the king to meet with both the greatest and the lowliest. And some people have argued that, you know, we see this um, a little bit in the Bible, that the king was there present with the people to resolve disputes. We're not quite sure how Moses and Aaron entered Pharaoh's court. But they do. They get in. And Moses and Aaron get this audience with Pharaoh. And he hears their request. But he's not interested. There's a defiance of God's command here. He doesn't know the law. And so the Pharaoh's response to God's command is actually that people of God are to get back to work, and this time harder with no straw. So when Moses and Aaron, they try to explain, you don't understand. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. We have met with God. You don't know him, Pharaoh, but we do. He's met with us. When they say that, he's met with us, the implication is that God is on their side. And he he wants us, Pharaoh, to go and worship him for three days. Um, It's interesting, why do they ask for three days? Um, When, in fact, they actually won't be freed entirely for more than three days from Egypt. I think the best explanation is that uh, that. God was testing Pharaoh at this point. Uh, It's a test. Let's, Let's just start with three days. Let's start with a smaller request and we'll go from there. But the contest really isn't about how long God's people are to be released for. The contest really is about who will Pharaoh worship? Who is the Lord? It's the God of the universe. It's the God who has revealed himself to Abraham. It's God who has revealed himself to Moses. It's not Pharaoh. This, um, <clears throat> this request that they be released for three days was not unheard of um, in ancient literature. Um, that those who were slaves within Egypt. We have evidence that they were released for a time to be able to worship their own God. So this request was not unheard of. But this Pharaoh was rejecting God. He says that he does not know this God. Who is he? I don't have to listen to him. Pharaoh has set himself up in place of God, his plan is to defy a God that he didn't believe in. This is not the first time that this has happened, that this will happen. We often see this in people. We see this in people who say, I don't believe that God exists, but I hate him. See. The problem here is not a philosophical, intellectual problem as to the existence of God. The problem, if you like, is not in Pharaoh's head or in our world, in people's minds. The problem is of our hearts. Pharaoh was, as Paul would say years later in Romans chapter 1, suppressing the truth. The truth of the reality of who God is is before him. But here, Pharaoh, is making a decision to defy God and to suppress that truth. One commentator says this, he says, disobedience has a way of perpetuating ignorance. I think that's true. When you do what you want to do in defiance of God's commands, it has a way of producing ignorance to do what you want to do. So many people have objections to Christianity. People want to ask these questions. You know, why hasn't God shown himself to me? I don't don't believe God to be really relevant to my life. What about the problem of evil? How do we get all the books of the Bible? People will ask all these questions And these are questions that can be answered, and you can understand people having those questions. But the fundamental question and the fundamental reality is who is God? Who is God? And here is the more important reality. People don't dismiss God, I don't think, because of mere intellectual objection, because They can't trust the Bible. Or they don't know how creation fits with science. People reject God because they don't want to listen to him. And Pharaoh is the best example of that. If you like, he's the archetypal unbeliever. The reality of God is before him. And he chooses to suppress the truth. He chooses not to know See, in some ways, it's a lot easier for many people to say, well, look, you know, I can't believe in Christianity because of the problem of evil. I can't believe in Christianity because I believe in science. That's a lot easier than saying, I don't believe in this God and I don't want to listen to him. But just like in the garden, Adam and Eve wanted... Separation from God. They wanted to live life without him, and so they ate from the tree of knowledge and goodness, of good and evil, which meant that they considered themselves able to determine what was good and evil. And so we see that playing out here. As Pharaoh rejects God and his people, we see the reality of unbelief. And that's our heart too. Without the grace of God and without God's spirit, we're exactly like Pharaoh. We don't want a God telling us what to do. We don't, in our heart of hearts, often want to submit to God's rule. But that's the reality of our unbelief. Thirdly, a disdain for God's people. When you want nothing to do with God, when you want nothing to do with God's people, this is often the case. You don't want God in your life and you don't want God's people in your life. See, God is not immediately apparent, so what is next best in people's vision and in their interaction? Well, it's the people of God, the church, God's community. And we see this in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we see that Jesus says to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? You're persecuting the church, but Jesus actually says you're persecuting me. You hate them? Jesus says, but you hate me. He says also in John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Pharaoh takes his frustration, his defiance against God, where does he focus his anger? He focuses it at God's People. His frustrations and his unbelief are directed to the Israelites. And so he comes up with this um, concept of bricks without straw. And it could well be that uh, there is some archaeological evidence for bricks being made without straw, but it was a hard process to make bricks, and then for it to be for them to go and gather the straw which was necessary. For the bricks, it makes this task virtually impossible. So he had this system worked out with the Egyptian bosses at the top, and then below the Egyptian bosses was this layer of uh, Hebrew foremen, and then below them were the slaves. And this demand, or this command from Pharaoh for bricks to be made without straw puts God's people in this terrible position. And so what we see here is the blame that goes on. With these middlemen, these foremen, realise that they have to produce the same quota of bricks but without the provision necessary for those bricks. And so they go to Pharaoh And they say, it's your fault. You're telling us to make these bricks. How how are we supposed to make these bricks is almost impossible. And one of the things that Pharaoh wanted to do was to drive a wedge between the people and their leaders. And so after the foreman complained to Pharaoh, then all the people complained to Moses and Aaron. They say, you're the leaders. You're supposed to be the saviours. See, when people are frustrated, usually people will blame others. And often, they will blame leaders. Pharaoh didn't believe Moses and Aaron. And now the people aren't going to believe Moses and Aaron either. Do you see how the unbelief Um, echoes down, cascades down. In Exodus chapter 5 verse 4 we read, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And there in verse 9, let heavier work be laid on the men, and pay no regard to lying words. Pharaoh says, look, you're lying. You're lazy people. You want to get just... Out of the work that I've set before you, you're not telling the truth. And all this, in many ways, is a ruse. So that he's saying that this is a ruse so that they can get out of being slaves. Pharaoh considered the words of the Lord and his messengers to be lies, he thinks that God's word is unfair. And we see this today, that many reject the word of the Lord. And many of us, or many of us at times, even as Christian people, see the word of the Lord as a burden. Pharaoh is a great example of this. He's a great example of, really, the bondage of sin. And it's why we see later in the New Testament, in that the Exodus event will become the picture of redemption from our sins. We can see why Jesus would tell us to take his yoke, because it's easy and his burden is light, because the history of God's people was to have a master like Pharaoh, his burden is cruel, and his yoke will kill you. And so it is with sin. So it is with sin if you try and serve sin, if you think that you can trade to that as your master rather than God, if you think that sin will make you free, it's a lie of the evil one. And so we're tempted. We as Christian people are tempted to think that sin just for a time will make things easier. But Pharaoh is an example of the bondage of sin. He's also an example of the cruelty of unbelief, how he takes out his frustrations on God's people. You see, what we see here in Exodus chapter 5 is not a battle between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh, but we see, as one commentator says, the real combatants here are not just Moses and Pharaoh or the Israelites and the Egyptians, but between the Lord and the Egyptians, the Lord. See, we too, as Christian people, are in a battle. We're in a battle where we live in a world that defies God. And we live in a world in which some of the frustration of their defiance of God is taken out on us as Christian people. But we must remember, just as Moses, even in his level of doubt, was able to speak God's word, we too must remember to speak God's word. Because who can be trusted? Who really has the power? we reminded this morning that the Lord God has power. And that if we defy him, that will only bring us slavery, but if we are to worship Him, it will bring us freedom. Amen. Please stand as we.